Let us now turn to the portion of Scripture we read earlier there in Mark's Gospel, in the chapter 6. And when we have found the place of our reading, with God's holy word open before us, let us again unite our hearts in prayer and let us pray over the word even now. Lord our God, we come before thee once more. And as always, we come to thee in all our need, in all our weakness. We pray, Lord, tonight that through the word, thou will encourage us. Thou will lift up our hearts. Thou will lift up our spirits. And, O Lord God, again, as we always pray, let us see Christ. Let us see him whom our soul loveth. I pray, Lord, thou will grant to me the help and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That we might be enabled, Lord, to preach the word. And in preaching the word, we will preach Christ. And we'll always Praise Christ and make much of his blood. Yea, Lord, put the blood upon the meeting even now. Scatter the fowls of the air, even as the good seed is being sown. May it fall on good ground, bring forth much fruit. We pray in our Saviour's holy and precious name. Amen. Gospel of Mark, the chapter 6. And our text for this evening is that verse 48. Mark 6 and verse 48. And he saw them toiling and rowing. He saw them, Christ that is. For the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them. Walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. The miracle which Mark here records is also recorded by Matthew and by John. And that which we tend to focus on, and rightly so, is the Saviour's miraculous walk upon the sea as he came to the disciples there in their ship. But a careful study of this great event will show us that there were possibly five miracles wrought in this one particular incident. There is, first of all, the Savior walking on the sea. That's one of the miracles. Then the miracle that enabled Peter to walk on the water. You know, Peter pardon me, comes under a lot of criticism because he got so afraid because he saw the waves were contrary and he thought he was going to drown. Well, I wouldn't be critical of Peter at all. I would think about what about the other disciples in the ship who'd never even bothered to try and attempt to walk on the water. At least Peter tried. You don't mind a man who tries something and maybe fails in the attempt. And there was Peter, and he walked upon the water, which is only recorded by Matthew. It is important to notice how these two miracles are recorded. In Matthew 14, 
verses 25, 26, 28 and 29. It will not take time to turn it up. You can look at it yourself. Peter got down out of the ship after asking the Lord if he could walk toward him. It is recorded that, that Peter walked on the water. Mark that. Peter walked on the water. But what does it say about Christ? Verse 49 of Mark 6. And when they saw him walking upon the sea. There's a difference. Peter walked on the water. But it repeats the fact that Christ walked upon the sea. What's the difference? The difference is Peter was given the ability to walk upon that stretch of water between the ship and Christ. He walked upon the water between the ship and Christ. But the Lord Jesus, we are told, walked upon the sea. He could walk anywhere on any sea. Because he's the master of the seas. Peter couldn't do that. But Christ was the one who walked upon the sea. That's the difference. He is the master of the seas. That was followed by the miracle that was wrought by Christ when he saved Peter from drowning. The Lord immediately stretched forth his hand and caught him, Matthew 14, verse 31. There's the third miracle, the saving of Peter from drowning. Then there was the miracle by the Lord when he stilled the tempest. When he got into the ship, the wind ceased. He is not only the master of the seas, he's the master of the wind. He's the master of the clouds. He is the master of all. And when he got into the ship, there was a great calm. It's the fourth miracle. There's another one. Go over to John's Gospel in the chapter 6. For there in John chapter 6, <coughs> we read in the verse 21, verse 20, But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship. Mark these words. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. There's a fifth miracle. Now whenever the Lord came to the disciples, we're told they were in the midst of the sea. So you would say if the Lord got into the ship, it would take them quite a few hours to get from the midst of the sea to the land where they were going to their destination. But that's not what happened. John here tells us that when the Lord got into the ship they were at the land immediately. That's another miracle. They got there immediately. What a wonderful event then this was. What these disciples saw in Christ that day was something quite marvelous. Five miracles wrought in the early hours of that day by the great miracle worker himself, the one who's the master of the seas. So let us see this miracle worker as he came to the, the rescue of the disciples. I want us first of all to consider the great storm. The Savior had just wrought a miracle when he fed a multitude of people 
with just five barley loaves and two small fishes. It's often referred to as the feeding of the 5,000, but really he fed 5,000 men besides women and children. Could have been 10, 15, 20,000. And he fed them with five barley loaves and two small fishes. The miracle greatly impressed the people who beheld it, so much so that according to John 6 and verse 15, the Lord perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. To make him a king. This maybe goes back to what we said this morning about the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Here is the gentleness and the meekness of Christ. Many another person would have run to that multitude and said, Oh, you're going to make me a king. Not Christ. He had a lot of work to do. We read then in verse 45, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side. That's what he did. Here we have the directive. The Lord gave this directive to the disciples. Straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side. There's the directive. As we might understand, the word straightway means immediately. How we all need to respond to the Lord's word in the way that the disciples did. They were constrained to get into the ship. There was a sort of a note of haste there. The Lord said, I want you to get into the ship and I want you to end the ship immediately. Reminds us of the words of 1 Samuel 21 verse 8. The king's business requireth haste. Well, here the king had given a directive to his disciples and he required them to obey that directive, to obey that command and to get into the ship immediately. We would all do well, all do well to follow the example of the disciples who did respond with haste. And they did get into the ship. Once they received the order, they made haste and got into the ship. How often do we get a word from the Lord, a word of command? The Lord tells us what to do. Well, do we respond immediately? Or do we put it off? Or do we say, no, that, that refers to somebody else? Over in the Gospel of Luke, we read in chapter 19 of Luke, and when Jesus came to the place, verse 5, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must abide in thy house. Verse 6. And he made haste. And came down and received him joyfully. Well, Zacchaeus obeyed the Lord's command. The Lord said, make haste and come down. And the next verse says, he made haste and came down. He did exactly what the Lord commanded him to do. Let us be as obedient as the case was. And the Lord gives us a word and commands us. Let us make haste and not dilly-dally and put it off. The Lord's word is law. You love me if you keep my commandments. So it's a sign of our love for Christ. If we keep his commandments. There's another word here. 
which indicates the disciples must do the Lord's bidding. Constrain them. He constrained them to get into the ship. The word constrain means to compel. There was no doubting the Lord's will. The Lord compelled them, yea, constrained the disciples to go to the other side. You'll notice something. The Lord has sent away a multitude of people. And the Lord compels the disciples, commands the disciples to get into the ship, away from the multitude. That's where you'd want to stay, isn't it? Where the big crowds are. But no. The Lord told the disciples to get into the ship and to go over to the other side. I want you to notice. There was not one word of objection raised by any of the disciples. In fact, the Lord, when he commanded them to get into the ship, there's only silence. There's nothing recorded of anything that the disciples said. No, there was no objection raised. They knew what the Lord's will was. They were compelled accordingly to get into the ship and do the Lord's bidding to carry out what he had told them to do, to obey the Lord. And the Lord makes his will known to any of his people. We are compelled to carry out that will. Last evening at our brother and Ken and Judy's house we were watching an interview that took place quite a few years ago. My wife and I happened to be able to be at that particular meeting. It was a conversation night between Dr. Paisley and Pastor Willie Mullen. If you want to hear Willie Mullen preach, just go on to Sermon Audio. Or if you want to listen to that conversation, go on to YouTube and just type in conversation between Dr. Paisley and Pastor Mullen. It'll bless your soul. And they talked about their friendship. And then Dr. Paisley asked Mr. Mullen to explain to all who were there how the Lord called him into the ministry. And then Dr. Paisley, he did the same. And actually, had, I had forgotten this part of it. Dr. Paisley said that the Lord called him through the words of Matthew 4, verse 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the verse that the Lord used to call me into the ministry. And he talked about it, how the Lord kept bringing that up before him. The Lord brought it up to me, called me one night at a youth rally in Dr. Paisley's old church on the Raven Hill Road. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The Lord said to me that night, follow me. And you know something? I was compelled to do so. That night, I knew the Lord had called me to serve him and to be a fisher of men. And I was compelled to prepare myself for the ministry. The Lord had revealed his will unto me. When the Lord reveals his will, believer, we're compelled to do his will. We can't do anything else. We're compelled to do his will. As well as the directive, we have the disturbance. We see here that doing the will of God does not always mean a life of ease. Doing the will of God doesn't mean we're going to go through life without entering into some kind of storm. I'm not talking about the storm we hear outside tonight. You know the storms we're talking about, family storms, things that happen at home and it's like a storm to us. 
And here we have these that were these disciples, and they were doing the will of the Lord. They had obeyed him and got into the ship. They did exactly what the Lord told them to do, and they found themselves in the midst of a storm. God has not promised sky is always blue. Flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised. God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing kindness and undying love. That's what he has promised. And however severe the storms of life may be, the Lord has promised grace for the trials and help from above, unfailing kindness and undying love. And we read there in the verse 48 that whenever they were in the midst of the sea, it says in verse 48, the winds were contrary unto them. The word contrary, as you'd imagine, means against. Do you ever find yourself in that place? Do you ever find yourself in that place where you feel everything is against you? Just like old Jacob of old. Everything is against me. Well, here the disciples were in the midst of the sea, in the midst of the storm. And the winds were against them. We're not making much progress. Did they wonder I... I wonder, did they think about, well, here the Lord told us to get into the ship, to go to the other side. We weren't expecting anything like this. I love Samuel Rutherford. That's why I love that hymn we sang this morning, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. Samuel Rutherford is a young man was called to go to a church in Anworth, Scotland. He went there believing it was the will of God. Carried out a great ministry there. Do you know something? Inside the first three years, two children died in infancy. And before the third year was out, his young wife died as well. Oh, he was in the center of the Lord's will. And boy, did Rother Ford meet with a storm in his life. Rother Ford's known not only for his preaching, but his letters that he wrote when he was in exile in Aberdeen in Scotland. He wrote many letters to individuals. And one letter he wrote to Marion, a lady called Marion McNaught, a godly woman. And when he lost his wife and his two children, he wrote to her and said, My wife is so sore tormented night and day that I have wondered why the Lord tarrieth so long. My life is bitter unto me. It is hard. It is hard to keep sight of God in a storm. And those words were penned by one of the godliest men that ever lived. And I thought it was interesting in what he said. He was tormented. The winds were contrary unto him. And it was interesting that he said, he said, it is hard to keep sight of God in a storm. Rutherford 
was telling the truth. We all know it's true. Even the most spiritual of men and women find it hard to keep sight of God in the midst of a storm. But you know what the important thing is? That God has sight of us. That's the important thing. And while when the dark clouds of adversity roll over our heads and we cannot see God, we know this, he can see us. He sees us. As we'll see in a moment or two. As well as the directive And then the disturbance. I want you to notice the determination. That is of the disciples in this great storm. The wind we are told was contrary unto them. Matthew 14 verse 24 says. And the ship was in the midst of the sea. Tossed with waves. In the midst of the sea. But look at what we find in Mark 6 and verse 48. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, <coughs> and would have passed by them. When even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea. When even was come. The even marks the evening of that night. 6 o'clock p.m. 6 p.m. Now when the Savior came to the disciples about the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. You can do the calculations. The disciples had been in the midst of the storm, had been rowing for nine plus hours. They had been rowing for that length of time. And when the Savior came upon them, instead of being at their destination, and listen, the destination should only have taken them two hours. From where they were to where the Lord told them to go, it would have been a journey of two hours. But here we find after nine hours, they're no nearer their destination. In fact, they're further away than ever. Why? Because they are in the midst of the sea. I want you to note something. That when the Lord came upon them, what does it say? He saw them toiling and rowing. In other words, they were still rowing. They hadn't given up. No, they were no nearer their destination and the winds were contrary unto them. But when the Lord came upon them, they were still rowing. They hadn't decided to turn back. They were still rowing. They hadn't given up. They were still rowing. Boy, isn't that a wonderful lesson for the Lord's work. Sometimes, in our little work in Port Hope, confess, sometimes feel like giving up. But the Lord has given us grace to keep rowing. Keep rowing. 
was talking to one of our brethren a few weeks ago and he was so discouraged. But the few people who were coming to his place of worship, he was so discouraged. I thought to encourage him, I say, listen brother, keep rowing. The disciples were in the midst of the storm. The winds were contrary unto them. The winds were against them. But they kept rowing. And in the Lord's work, whatever you're involved in, and it seems everything's against you, and you don't seem to be making any progress, and there's discouragements along the way, listen, just keep rowing. That's what the Lord told them to do. And they kept rowing. Even though there they were in the midst of the sea. They kept rowing. There's no victory in giving up. As well as the great storm. We see here also the great saviour. When the Lord comes to our rescue in our most difficult and trying circumstances we're made to realize we indeed do have a great Savior. Hallelujah. Here we see first of all His awareness. After the Lord compelled His disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side we're told that he departed into a mountain to pray. So while the storm is raging against the disciple, there on the land is the Savior. He's not physically with them in the ship, but he is with them in prayer. And here we have his praying. And since Christ knows all things, for he is omniscient, he knew all about the storm and he knew all about his servants and he knew all about their struggle. And there he was on the land, up on the mountain, there praying, praying, praying for his disciples praying for them in the midst of the storm whenever the wind was contrary unto them. And listen, when the winds of life seem to be contrary unto us, listen, there's one in the glory and he's praying for us. Amen. Now others, and bless the Lord, follow them. There are others who will say to us, we're praying for you, brother. We're praying for you, sister. Now, there will be those times when, no through, no fault of their own, they'll forget to pray. But the Lord never forgets. Do you know why? Because he has us upon his heart. Our names are engraved in the palms of his hands. He is the great high priest and he carries our names upon his shoulders. And his thoughts of us are more than the sand on the seashore. You take a handful of sand and start counting the grains that you have in your hand. It takes you a long time. And then you look along the shore and there's miles and miles of sand. And yet the word of God says the Lord thinks of us. His thoughts of us are more than the sand on the seashore. You know what that tells me? It tells me he's always thinking about us. Always. There's never a time he's not. And not only is he always thinking about us. He's always praying for us. Bless his name. It is Christ that died, Paul said, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession. What for? 
also maketh intercession for us. Boy, is it not something to rejoice in. We can say to one another, do you know something, brother? The Lord's praying for me. Even now, he's praying for me. He's interceding on my behalf. I have a dear loving Savior, though earth friends be few. He's always praying. And they never forget us. Never forget to pray for us. As well as his praying, we see also his perception. As well as being told about his praying, we read in verse 48, And he saw them rowing, uh, toiling and rowing. He saw them. He saw them. Remember, it was still dark. It was still dark, yet he saw them. See, it doesn't matter how dark the night is. The Lord still sees us. And those nights, in our upon our beds, and the tears fall that nobody else sees. Christ sees them. He saw them toiling and rowing, even though it was night. We read in Psalm 139, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. But the night shineth as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Doesn't matter how dark the night is. The Lord still sees us. How comforting it is to know that when we struggle to get through the dark night and when we struggle to get through the storm and the winds are contrary unto us and everything seems to be against us and we feel nobody cares. Nobody cares how I feel. It was brought home to me when my my mother passed away quite a number of years ago, just entered into the theological hall. I remember when my mother passed away, I remember walking down Tandragee Street where we lived. And I looked around, and all the cars were going up and down the street, and I thought, no, you should be stopped. You should be sympathizing with me. But life goes on, doesn't it? And the people driving those cars and the people walking up and down the street, they didn't know anything about me. They didn't know anything about my heartache. And so it is in life. When the winds seem to be contrary unto us and everything's against us and we feel nobody knows and nobody cares, there's one who knows. And there's one who cares. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he. His eye 
is on the sparrow and he watches over me wonderful saviour isn't he as well as his awareness we see also his arrival after many long lonely hours of rowing the saviour came to the struggling disciples we read there in the verse 48 and he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them it is said that God that our extremity is God's opportunity well here we have the disciples and it was their extremity it was the Savior's opportunity came to them walking upon the sea and that's where we see we see Christ and the sea the extremity for the disciples certainly was an opportunity for the Lord to work a great miracle to reach his disciples and to rescue them well, they would have reached the other side. There was no doubt about that. They may have felt they were going to drown, as they did on another occasion. Remember? Saviour was asleep in the ship, and they went and they woke him and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They weren't going to perish. There was no chance of them perishing. The Lord had told them to cross over to the other side. If the Lord said we're crossing over to the other side, it would be to the other side they would go. They wouldn't be lost halfway. And we'll not be lost halfway to heaven. We'll make it all right. But here the Savior came to them in a miraculous way, walking upon the sea. How often does the Lord come to our aid in a most unexpected way? In a way that we look not for. Isaiah 64 verse 3. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flow down at thy presence. Well, on this occasion regarding the disciples, the Lord didn't just come down, he also came across. Walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they couldn't believe it. Now here's the Savior. And the sea was rough. But what do we find? We find the Savior walking on that rough sea. So what does that teach us? It teaches us. As Paul said, he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Even though the waters were contrary unto them and the wind and Peter when he got out and walked a short distance on the water he saw the waves and he began to sink. The waves as far as he was concerned were overwhelming him. But not Christ. Didn't matter how strong the wind was it didn't matter how rough the sea Christ had them under his feet. The waters were under Christ's feet. And whenever trouble comes our way, and ever trial comes our way, and sometimes we may feel overwhelmed by those things, always remember that Christ has them under his feet. They may drive us back. They, must drive, they may drive us down, but they'll never drive Christ back and they'll never drive Christ down. He has all things under his feet. 
And just think of that. Whatever storm comes our way in life, the Lord has it under his feet. And we are in him, complete in him. We stand in him. We're safe. Christ and the sea, then you have Christ and his steps. It's interesting that we read, He cometh unto them walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Verse 48. Was this not a test to those disciples to see how much they really needed him and how much they really wanted his help? Because you see, we all know again, this is something we've all experienced in the storms of life. Don't we think we can battle through on our own? Ah, it'll be all right. Now we'll battle on. Instead of getting down on our knees and crying out to the Lord for help, he would have passed by them. It was a test to see how much they really wanted his help. It was just to see how much they really wanted his company in the ship with them. Well, they did need his help. Matthew 14, verse 26, we're told they cried out <coughs> for fear. Remember the MS disciples? The Lord drew near, went with them, and as we said this morning, opened to them the scriptures expounded the word to them. And when they got to their destination, we read, he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us. It was a test. It was a test to see how much they wanted him in their home. He made as though he would have gone further. And it says they constrained him. They laid hold of him and said, Master, abide with us. We want you in our home. And sometimes the Lord gives us the same test. To see how much we really want him. And how much we want his help. We've considered his awareness and his arrival, and then we have his assurance. Notice after they had cried out to him in their trouble, immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. You notice? When they cried out to him in their trouble, it says... And he immediately talked with them. Isn't that what they needed? Isn't that what we need in the storms of life? Don't we need the Lord to talk to us? Don't we need the Lord to give us a word? Let me tell you something. I mentioned this morning, thanking you to pray. For praying for our son Glenn. The next morning, we were to contact the hospital. They had tried to waken Glenn up at the end of the day, and and he was having trouble breathing. His blood pressure had gone down to zero. That was the news we got when my wife called. It was dark that morning. When I heard that word, obviously I couldn't sleep. And I lay in bed praying. The Lord would keep his hand on Glenn. As I lay in bed praying, 
the Lord came to me with a word. He talked to me. You know what he said? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And we were troubled. And that verse, John 14, verse 1, came to me with great power. And the Lord said, let not your heart be troubled. It's all right. I'm in control. In the midst of that particular personal storm, the Lord talked to us. And we got a word from the Lord, and the word said, let not your heart be troubled. It's all right. I'm in control. I'm the master of the sea. I can conquer the storm. Your son will be all right. The Savior immediately responded to their cry. And what a word of assurance he gave them. What did he say? Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. No, they need not be afraid. He said, be of good cheer. What? Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. See those words, it is I. Know what those words are? Those words are the words I am. Be of good cheer. I am. The incommunicable name of Jehovah. Isn't that what the Lord said in John 8 and verse 58? Before Abraham was, I am. And who was it that came to them that day walking upon the sea? It was none other than the incarnate God, Jehovah. It was Jehovah. There's no need to be afraid. It was Jehovah who came to them that day. No wonder the Lord said, be of good cheer. Be not afraid. Jehovah is here. It is I. He whom the winds and the seas obey. May the Lord help us to see him in the midst of the storms of life and know that he sees us and know that he is the great I am. Finally and very briefly we have seen the great storm and we have seen a great saviour. We finish with a great stillness. No sooner had the saviour come on to them than we read and he went up on to them into the ship. Verse 51. He went up onto them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. There you have, first of all, their company. They had missed his physical presence, but he was praying for them. They thought nobody saw them, but he saw them. He was watching them. But now he's with them in the ship. John 6 and verse 21 says, Then they willingly received him into the ship. He tested them, you remember? He would have, he made as though he was going to pass by them. And they cried out. And he came up into the ship with them and they willingly received him. Can you imagine what it was like for those disciples? You imagine what it's like in our storms of life and the Lord comes to us and he comes into the ship with us. Sure don't you want to throw your arms around him. Like the bride in the song of Solomon 
I held him and I would not let him go. I, when the Lord comes to us in the storms of life, that's what we want to do. Is we want to hold him. We want to put our arms around him. They willingly received him into the ship. They had his company. wonder how people go through life and their storms of life without Christ. Without his company. Without his presence. Their company and the calm. Isn't it interesting? Once the Savior entered the ship, the wind ceased. You can take that two ways. When they entered into the ship, well, the wind ceased, the sea was calm. When they entered into the ship and the disciples enjoyed his company, the wind ceased in their own hearts too. The storm that was raging in their own hearts suddenly in their own hearts there was a great calm. Peace like a river attendeth my way. Even when the sea billows roll I have learned whatever my lot were able to say it as well. It is well with my soul and there's a great calm. Only Christ can cause there to be a great calm. And then there was consideration. If you look there at verse 52, and they considered not the miracle. They considered not the miracle of loaves for their heart was hardened. In other words, they had been present when the Lord fed the 5,000 men besides women and children. And if the Lord was able to work such a miracle like that with five loaves and two fishes, and when it says five loaves, it's not the loaves that we see in the supermarket. It's the size of those biscuits that Judy set out on the table today. But that size there, five of them. That was a loaf. And two small fishes. He wrought a great miracle. And here they were in the midst of the storm, and they had forgotten all about that miracle. And if he was able to feed a multitude like that with loaves and fishes, he could calm the storm. He would get them to the other side. But they forgot all about it. Sure, don't we do the same? We have our trials and struggles. We wonder how we're going to get out of them. And we forget what the Lord has done for us before. And what he has done before, he can do again. He's the miracle-working Savior. He's the master of the seas. May the Lord bless you and use his word to encourage us tonight. Let's bow in prayer. O Lord our God, we bless thee. We're able to say in the words of that hymn we sang earlier, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of blood born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Lord, we're glad we're saved. We're glad, Lord, we belong to thee. I am my beloved's, and he is mine, and his banner over me is love. Lord, Help us to trust thee in the storms of life. We know thou will bring us through. And Lord, in thy work, when things are getting tough, we wonder, are we making any progress? Help us to keep rowing. Keep a firm grip on the oars.
and keep at the work. I'll do it all for Jesus. I'll do it all for Jesus. I'll do it all for Jesus because he's done so much for me. Lord, be with us as we part the one from the other. Grant us all traveling mercy home tonight and to our destination. Be with us, Lord, throughout this week. Keep thy hand upon us. And, oh, Lord, bless Benjamin on Wednesday night. Give him a word. And be with us next Sabbath day in thy will. Remember Dr. Allison. Lord, may some news be heard of him this week. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide and remain with us now and until the day breaks and the shadows all flee away. Amen.